Well, all right. Sometimes you come into church and we talk about how you are uniquely wired and gifted and God treasures you and there's only one you and you're a beautiful snowflake and there's no two snowflakes. We celebrate that. Sometimes you come to church and we got to talk about hell. You can probably guess which way this one's leaning. <laughs> Hence the prayer for courage to seek truth to believe truth, not just what we want to hear. I recently got an email, somebody asking me, and they're a legitimate question. I mean, if heaven and hell are real, it's forever, shouldn't we be mourning people more often? And we talk about hell too much or too little here. I really debated, I like to keep it interactive, almost having everybody vote. All right, who thinks we talk about hell too much? Who thinks we talk about hell too little and make everyone vote? I didn't do that because part of the reason I realized I was doing that is I just like to make people feel uncomfortable. And that was like my main motivation. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so I won't make you vote, but I am going to humbly submit. It won't sound humble at first, but let me explain. I'm going to humbly submit. We talk about hell the perfect amount. I told you it wouldn't sound humble. Let me tell you why I believe that. Because here's the deal. We don't sit together as pastors and all gather around and say, all right, how many times do you want to talk about hell? Okay, four, four, too much. Let's go three. What we're doing, we walk through the gospel of Luke. We're walking through God's word, and we're going to talk about it exactly as often as Jesus talks about it. So that's where I get there. When he brings it up, we're going to bring it up and have the courage to just dive into truth. The uncomfortable part of that truth is it's actually more than we think it is and definitely more than we want it to be. So, are you willing to go on that journey of seeking truth, not just what we want to hear? So let's dive in. Together, we are in Luke 13. I'm going to go ahead and read. Please follow along. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. So we see the context of this, remember? This is Jesus traveling towards Jerusalem. It kind of says that out of the gate. And here he is, somebody asks him a question. Now this isn't the main point, but I kind of like this minor point. Like Jesus is on the way, you know, his agenda is save the world. And somebody asks him this question, and he has time to kind of minister to people who God brings his, his way. 
And how many of us, we don't have opportunity because we're so busy and I can't do this and God's bringing people our way, but oh, I got TPS reports to fill out in my house and I got all these bills and we can't minister to people. Jesus is saving the world. Like, not in the Marvel Spider-Man sense. Like, in the literal sense, his agenda is to redeem the universe. He still has time to minister to the people God brings across his way. Again, not the main point, but that's a good point, right? It's nice. So here he is, has time for this guy, and this guy asked the right question to the right source. I mean, is this not the question of all the things you're wrestling with about your job and your finances, you know, and your relationships? I mean, eternity is a long time. We could agree on that. And this guy essentially asked that, like, hey, you know, heaven, like, hey, how many, Jesus, how many many people done getting in there? Is like a lot, 50? Like, we should know and have, you know, a semblance of what we believe about salvation, how many people, were those that are saved, be few? Who's getting in? And then Jesus, in a lot of ways, kind of flips it to how you're getting in. Let me talk to you about this a little bit. Because all of us should be asking this question. In the busyness of life, do you stop and ponder this? And then I want to ask you another question. Again, eternity is written in the hearts of men. We all, even the most devout atheists, have some semblance of there's more to this world than just the material, that there is the spiritual, there is the eternal, so you should give it that question. It's due time. I mean, what do we believe? And are, do you have the courage to seek truth? So let me then ask you, this person asked Jesus, What is your source of truth for what you believe about the afterlife, about heaven and hell? Most of us, boldly, I'd say arrogantly, we just believe it is whatever we think it is. I mean, how many times have you sat around to people and they just go, I just like to think, you know, all roads and this one big mountain and we all go up one mountain. That's what I believe. I like to imagine, you know, heaven is this way. I like to think there's, and that's what we, that's like our determiner of truth, whatever we think it is. I mean, I like to think heaven's full of puppy dogs, and God's like, here, puppy dog heaven. Like, do you really think that's how it goes? Whatever you think heaven is, you're going to ask Jesus, and you go, oh, let me create your little heaven like that. Like, it doesn't work like that, but that's what we do. We just assume heaven is whatever we want it, whatever we believe it is, or we just turn to whatever culture kind of tells us, and we blindly accept it. You know, whatever that on social media that sounds quasi-deep, oh, I like, no, I love that. Really? Like, so whatever celebrity you follow, like, that's going to be your gauge for what heaven and hell is and who gets there. And that's most of us. We just believe it is whatever we think it is, as if God's going to honor that and whatever culture it is. I mean, I went to Kent State. I remember just having these conversations with people that were generally under the influence of some substance and be like, yo, you know what I think? I think, like, heaven's like this. And everybody's like, whoa, bro, that's deep. Like, do you re- like, is that what we're doing? Because it is. Like, or do you have the courage to not just, okay, what do I want to believe? Not just what does culture say, to step back and have the courage to seek truth. And when that happens, to just be like, yo, bro, that's stupid. <laughs> like, do you have that courage you need this morning to seek truth and to go to the right source? So instead of social media and celebrities, do you ask Jesus? Jesus is like, I am from heaven. That's where I came from. I built this place. I'm building a road to heaven. I'm remodeling heaven for you so that it's ready for you when you get there. I'm going back to there. Who's a better source than finding truth in Jesus 
And you're going to ask and see what he has to say. So let's dive into that. I mean, what does he say? What does it look like for him? And he talks about this narrow door. So the question is, are few will be saved? And he answers it in a very Jesus-like way. You notice he doesn't answer the question. And it takes it to how many will be saved, to how can people be saved? And he begins to kind of get at a lot of their false assumptions that all of us have of what it's like to get to heaven. And I want to kind of begin to unpack those false assumptions. Here's why I was compelled by this passage. As I studied it, the Jews have essentially the same filter that we do of who makes it to heaven. See, the Jews believed every Jew wants to heaven except some of the blatant sinners that stepped outside of God's grace. Their view, what I would say, is very similar to ours. The warning is that broad view of, hey, as long as you're a good person, try to be religious, you get to heaven. Jesus says, listen, hear the warning this morning. The filter from heaven to heaven is tighter than you think. So let's dive at the assumption. Here's kind of the assumption that we all have, right? It's a broad gate, kind of, hey, you know, with Mother Teresa, those people are in. But most of us put ourselves in the good lane. I guarantee you. Ask anybody, you leave here, you're going to get to heaven. Why? They're going to say, I'm a good person. I try to be a good person. And that's it. We all think that's the filter. Okay, I'm a pretty good person, so I'm probably getting in. Now, we're all a little uncomfortable with that, because if you're honest, you know you're not a good person. When nobody's around, you kind of even allow another lane past that. As long as I'm half decent, or I try to be a good person, or I got a good heart, and, oh, I've done some messed up stuff. So we even allow, hey, just you know, basically half decent people, you know, you get in, mix in a little religion, and it leaves like Hitler and murderers. Like they're the only ones not in heaven. Like that's kind of our filter. Like unless you're not, you know, trafficking people, killed people, we're basically all getting in. I'll confess to you, the first iteration of this slide was less theologically correct. I had a couple more characters in there that like totally, there's a filter. So like the, you know what I'm saying? You can't. But it's not theologically correct. We shouldn't laugh at that. Hypothetically, you know, theologically, they, they have a shot, but it's unlikely. So I, I didn't go with that. Here's the deal. All right, so this is where we're coming from. And Jesus says, listen, it's tighter than that. So coming with this, we have dangerous assumptions between heaven and hell. So in this story that Jesus tells, this parable, he unpacks some of the dangerous false assumptions all of us come into. Here's one of them. God would never send someone to hell. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever believed that? Goodness, I want to believe that. I'm tempted to believe that, but I have a burden to believe truth. What does the story say? There were people that will seek, that will knock and try to enter. And he says, a door will be shut on them. And it says, they will be told, depart from me, that they will be cast out to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This picture of agony apart from the perfect presence of God. Do I want to be teaching this right now? Do I want to believe this? Absolutely not. But what matters is, what does Jesus tell us is true, and do we heed these warnings? And some of it, you know, we're so kind of blinded by what culture tells us about salvation, but even hell. So don't think, it's not like little fire pokers and people with horns. <laughs> like, it's, it's not like that. We're so laced with cultural's view of hell. But make no mistake, 
Don't believe that, oh, surely goodness, you underestimate the holiness and justice of God. He can't dwell with sinners. It can't happen. And so, don't make this assumption. It is clearly not true from this passage. Another one. I think, therefore, I am. Famous saying, right? I think, therefore, I am. I think I'm saved, so therefore, I must be saved. The only people going to hell are the ones that are like, yeah, I know I ain't getting in, so I'm going to live it up. That, does, that is not the case. Listen to this story. This is people that will say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he say, no, 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 no. The door is shut on them. And they say, well, wait a minute. You know, we heard you teach. We heard you preaching in our streets. Here's the thing. And this, was, this is a scary, disturbing assumption that I think we could make. There are people that think that they're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ that won't. Just because you think, oh, I'm a Christian, I must be saved, that somehow that makes you saved. These are people, Lord. See, they claim to be Christians. These are people that call themselves Christians, that think them and God are okay, that in the end will be told, depart from me, and sent in a place of agony. That should scare you and trouble you a little bit. Because here's the deal. Listen to me. Here's the warning. There are people sitting in this room right now that think them and God are okay and you're not. And he says, listen, you need to understand the filter's a little tighter than you think. And just thinking you're a Christian makes you a Christian. And there's going to be people that are shocked. Wait a minute. I had Christian parents. I was raised going to the church. You know, I've been to VBCs. I went to, I went to Cornerstone. I went to CBCA. And he's going to say, that ain't it. Just because you've had some Christian, that was their thing. No, we heard you. You taught in our streets. Just because you think you're a Christian and you have a little bit of Christian activity in your life doesn't mean you're saved. Even in the parallel passage in the other gospel, it says there are people that performed miracles in his name, that prophesied in his name, that, you know, they'd done things for God. They even served. And he says... Those people will be told, depart from me. Just because in a very lazy, you know, small view of faith, you think, oh, you know, I must be saved because I'm a Christian. I go to church sometimes. That's a dangerous assumption. And here, I think, is the major false assumption that they make. I want that to be a little bit disturbing to you because here's what I think oftentimes people don't get. The assumption they make, knowing about Jesus is enough. Knowing and understanding and just believing in Jesus that he died for your sins is enough. What he explains in this parable is there is a massive canyon between knowing about somebody and knowing and being in relationship with somebody. And those that just know about Jesus and have false hope in that and think they're okay, you might not be. If that's you, I want you to feel that a little bit. And this isn't just semantics, like, oh, how confusing it is. This is a basic principle that all of us understand. The difference between knowing about and knowing. Raise your hand if you know Baker Mayfield. If you ever heard the, if you ever heard the name Baker Mayfield, raise your hand. Put him up, put him up. I mean, it's basically everybody, right? Baker Mayfield, you know, starting quarterback, Cleveland Browns. Now, think about this. Think about this, this story right here. It's a story of a banquet, a wedding feast, a party, where they go to knock and try to get into, and he says, I never knew you. So you know Baker Mayfield. So the next time you hear he's having a party, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go knock on that door and try to get in that party. 
I want you to go up like, yo, bank money. You're having a party. Come on, let me get in there. What's he going to say? Yeah, I got somebody on my lawn. Somebody need the police. Yeah, he's saying, you know me. I don't know. What is he going to say? You say, bro, I don't know you. Like, why would I let you into my party in my house? I don't know you. And you could respond, what do you mean? I know you. You're drafted number one overall, 27 touchdowns. You're six one, you know, six foot, really, depending on, you know. You can spout all these things that you know about him. You went to Oklahoma. You were drafted here. Here's your stats. And he's going to say, bro, I don't know you. You are not welcome in here. Do you feel that difference? Just because you went to church and you were raised and you had these Christian things in your life, the question is, do you know him, not just know about him? There's a big difference. He lays out the filter is this way. I've heard it said that the line to heaven is single file. I mean, this is the easiest cross-reference ever. It's talking about this narrow door. So what is this narrow door to heaven? Jesus says it, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So that's the question. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And some people, you know, that's hard. It's so exclusive. You mean it's just through Jesus? How arrogant is that? One, we don't deserve any way back to him because of what we've done. The fact that he provides one way is nothing but grace. And the beauty is, yes, it's exclusive to Christ, but it's the most inclusive offer that any person has ever been given. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus accepts all people that come to him. To kind of wrap my head around this idea that, yes, it's exclusive, maybe a little bit harder than you think, not that you have to earn it, but it's the most inclusive offer of salvation that anyone has ever been given try to wrap my head around this idea of like, yes, it's tighter, but it is all our welcome, I had to turn to the greatest high school football coach ever to live on this planet is Denzel Washington, if you didn't know, <laughs> a.k.a. Coach Herman Boone. I want you to watch this clip because I think it gets at the heart of it. Some coaches, they cut a player if they think he's not up to snuff. When they think he's hurting the team. This is a public school program. I will never, ever cut a player who comes out to play for me. But when you put that uniform on, that Titan uniform, you better come to work. You drop a pass, you run a mile. You miss a blocking assignment, you run a mile. You fumble the football, and I will break my foot off in your John Brown hind parts. And then you will run a mile. Perfection. Let's go to work. Greatest coach ever. <laughs> I actually looked it up. I'm not exactly sure what John Brown hind parts is, so if that's offensive, I apologize. <laughs> I couldn't take it out. It's so good. I will break my foot off. <laughs> now, I want you to see, and I want you to hear the heart of that coach. He said, it is the most inclusive offer ever. You know, he says some coaches, to play on this team, you've got to be good enough. You gotta have the right ability. You gotta have the right talent. You gotta right have, and you have to have all these things. The inclusive offer is Christ, is you don't have to have that. You don't have to be good enough. We just sang poor and powerless. 
You could be poor. You could be powerless. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to bring anything. Anybody, he says, come. I cut nobody. All are welcome. I will never turn somebody away that comes to me. Is there a greater offer that this world has ever known? So Jesus, I'm like a public school program. I love that. I will never cut somebody that comes to play for me. That's what Jesus says. I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care you know, how little religion, how little you know. If you come to Jesus, Jesus says, I will accept you. Not just know about him, like come to him in relationship. But what does it say? It says strive to enter through the door. That word there, it's, it's like a sports illustration. It's a word for agonize. He says, but if you're coming to play for me, you gotta go to work. I'm not talking about just this lazy faith that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I prayed a prayer, and I went to VBC, and I'll go to church sometimes as long as I don't have other stuff going on. And even that, it's not even about church. Is that true of your life that you are striving to know him? And the one thing, you know, when it talks about you gotta be perfect, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to pursue it. He says, you put that Titan's uniform on. You don't get to just cheaply put on the uniform of Christ and say, hey, I'm in because, you know, my parents are Christians. Are you striving to know him? Are you in relationship with him? That is the filter. And he says, anybody who comes to me, I'll never cut anybody. You don't have to fear. If you are genuinely saved, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. If you have come to him and said, I'm striving to know you and I'm in relationship with you, not because I deserve it, but because you accept me by your grace and you go to work to grow in relationship with him, you don't have to fear that you'll hear depart from me. But I want you to heed these warnings. So what do we do with these warnings that, okay, maybe the filter is tighter than we think, even if we don't want to believe it. I want to unpack some of these warnings and how do we heed this warning that Christ gives us. Don't hide behind hypotheticals. This is a huge part about this passage. People do this to Jesus all the time. Well, how many people are going to be saved? Well, you know what, Jesus, what about this blind guy? Is, is, it, is he more evil than the next? And he constantly is asked these hypothetical, philosophical, theological questions. Do you know what Jesus does every time? He turns it to you and how your standing is before God. Listen to me. God can handle how to judge other people. And we go, how can God dare judge somebody that has never heard my name? How can he judge somebody that just happens to be another religion? God says, look, I can handle the judgment seat. Like, let him handle that. These are important questions. It's fine to ponder them, but don't hide behind them. See what Jesus did. The guy comes and says, hey, will there be few that are saved? And he says, don't worry about that. Are you saved? So right now, if you wrestle with the idea of hell and how can it be fair and all these things, those are fine things to wrestle with. But this morning, be and do what Jesus tells you to do and worry about your own personal salvation. Make sure you're right with God and don't just hide behind these things. Well, I don't like a God that maybe would have hell. You know, I heard it said this way from one of the commentators. You know, it's like a pilot flying a plane. Man, I don't like how narrow that runway is. You say, man, that's so narrow. There's no way, and I wish there were more runways. I wish all runways led into one runway, and we could get into this, and you're going to wreck the plane because you don't like the runway. What should you do? 
Focus on the runway and land your plane. So don't just get trapped into all these philosophical debates that you can't wrap your head around. Think about them, but make sure you're right with God above all. There's another thing with this warning. Don't wait. This warning, a lot of it in this passage has to do with time. Because he's saying, hey, there are people that will seek, and then what's the problem? It's too late. He says, strive now. The warning is, don't wait. How many times have you said that in your own life? Well, let me start back there. How many times have you heard somebody say that to you? I remember sitting in college talking to people like, man, yeah, after college, I'm gonna get back to church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get right with God and I'm gonna do all these things. This warning is for them. Don't wait. And how many times have you thought that? Man, as soon as I get this job, I get my kids up and running. Once I have all this, I was sitting in a Bible study just right here and sitting with somebody and they're just, they keep saying this, you know, when am I gonna start trusting God? he kept saying it, when am I going to start trusting God? And I had to cut him off because he was a loud mouth. You know what I'm talking about. What's the answer? Now. All you have is now. The whole point is don't wait. Don't presume upon tomorrow. You don't know when he's coming back. The only way that you can get right with God is right now. Don't wait. Don't be one of those people that says, oh, I'm going to get my, right, uh, my life right later, and then it's going to be too late. You can't seek to get right with God in the future. All you can do is get right with him now and pursue a relationship with him. Do not wait. You never know when he's coming back. You never know when the last day is for you. And I want you to think about this. Do you really think your plan, like is your plan really, you know, you're gonna live apart from him and God will just keep begging you and begging you and then eventually you're gonna grace God with your presence. Tell me that's not arrogant. God, you know, uh, I'm going to come to your party later, but I, I want to do my thing first. It is foolish. Don't wait, because if you wait, a time will come when it will be too late. The door will close. That's a huge warning in this passage. One last warning. Don't presume either. It says a big part of this, People are going to be shocked who ends up in and who ends up out. There are those who are last that will be first, and some who are first will be last. There will be surprise, even people that are surprised themselves that I thought, oh, just because I went to church, I'm good. He says, don't presume just because you, know, you call yourself a Christian, even though you don't really know him, that you'll be okay. There will be shock. There might be more people in the rooms of AA in heaven than in the rooms of Bible college and seminaries, and that's just the truth. People are gonna be shocked, like, wow. So don't you dare presume that you and God are good. Are you on that path through Christ? That's what it takes. And this is a difficult thing. I was talking to somebody. I was actually got an email from a doctor. And, and it was the thing, it couldn't wrap their head around hell. He said, it makes, and it, it was good for me, preparing for this. Because I never want to do this, and ha, ah, a Michigan joke, ah, it's funny, you talk about hell. Like, this is hell. And is it wrong of me to warn people about that? And I was actually emailing with a doctor, and that's the easiest way to think about it. In the medical field, 
You go see a doctor, and that doctor gets a report that you have cancer, or your kid has cancer. Is it wrong, is it mean, is it hateful of that doctor to say, hey, here's the bad news, you have cancer. There's death in you, but here is the road to healing. I submit that's the most loving thing you could do if a train's coming at somebody is to warn them. Wouldn't it be infinitely less loving to just say, oh, they're not going to want to hear that. This might, make, this might offend them. This might upset them. So I'm not going to tell them. I'll just tell them, hey, it's not that bad. Just be gluten-free. You'll be fine. Like, how jacked up would that be of a doctor? What's the most loving thing that you could do? It's to warn people, look. And here's what they said that really hit me. They said, I don't know that I can accept it and embrace it. And part of the response is, so if you're a doctor, and this person just can't accept that their kid has cancer, do you say, oh, that's fine. That is probably hard, you know, to wrap your head around. Or do you, listen, you have to accept this. You're on a road of death. Please understand this. There's another road. There is a lane that leads to life. That's the most loving thing you could do is to compel people and warn people. I think that's the most loving thing that we can do. We should be like, it's like that runway, like those people on the runway with the flashlights, helping everybody and anybody we can see that path, that runway that leads to life. But then when she said that, I don't know if I can embrace this. I thought, you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I don't want to embrace it in the sense, I don't, you don't have to be okay with it. She literally sent an email. When I think about this, it makes me sick. Like it makes me want to vomit. My stomach turns thinking about people cast away from God. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it troubling you that this is a reality and that people may experience eternity apart from him. That's okay but we have to have the courage to accept the truth. I beg of you, if you have that courage to seek truth, don't just hide behind, but I can't wrap my head around this. Don't wait and don't presume. Are you right with God? Have you accepted his invitation, not to just know about him, but to know him and pursue him? And then let's go to work. Let me pray. Father, it is my same prayer and we opened up your word. God, would we have the courage to listen to your spirit, to listen to your word, that we would drown out so many voices that yell at us, but they're not the right source, that we would come to truth. God, not just believe what we want to believe, what culture tells us to believe, what you tell us is true. God, for those in this room, God, that have experienced relationship with you, would we never stop showing people the road to salvation, the door of Christ, for people sitting here right now and they know who they are, that they are one of those people that settled for just knowing about you, just settled for this lazy faith of going to church sometimes that they would stop that, that they would repent of that, that they would not want to hear depart from me and that they would strive to know you and begin that today. God, would they either literally come to the altar right now or just in their very seats begin a journey with you? That is my hope and prayer in Jesus' name.